0: Hey, y'all, I'm Maddie, author, speaker, and certified sommelier. I think we can all agree that life can get pretty tough at times. So I'm going on a journey to uncover how some of my favorite people are chasing joy in their lives. And I'm bringing you along with me. Through personal stories and funny encounters, I'm chatting with authors and entrepreneurs, musicians and brands to learn how they hang on to the good in life, even as the trouble comes. Because as life gets hard, joy is a choice we can make. Together, I'm Maddie, and this is the Enjoy Life Podcast. You know, I'm not scared of a lot of things. And I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I just was wired by God's grace as a very hopeful, optimistic person. I don't do a lot of things or enter a lot of things without picturing it going well, without picturing it being successful, without picturing it being fun. And I'm grateful for this. But I need you to know that my biggest fear I don't want to say in life because that's pretty profound, but one of my biggest fears is failure. My biggest fear with this show is that it fails. I don't even know how I would define it failing, but I know that I'm scared of that happening. And it's not because I believe this podcast or my book or anything that I do is the end all be all thing, right? That will make my mark on the world or define my legacy, or that I'm going to do this with y'all until I hopefully peacefully pass in my sleep 50 or 60 or 70 years from now. I guess 70 is a stretch. 100 is rare. But my fear of failing is is this fear that I carry with anything that I try, even if I know it's not going to be forever. Because in my mind, a failed project, a failed plan, a failed relationship means a failed me a flawed me, uh, less than me. My heart rate is rising as I say these words to you. But they're true. And some of y'all identify with this deeply and are like, my gosh, stop talking. And hopefully a lot of you don't identify with this and you're like, sister, go to therapy. Like, you gotta work this out. And I have, <laughs> I have. I've done a lot of work around this wrong belief and I know now how to talk myself off that ledge of lies when they start to close in, but just for a little background color, okay, on me and this topic, that's just how I'm wired to think. I mean, I'm an Enneagram 3. Y'all know I love the Enneagram, but I do think it's an incredibly insightful tool for life, for yourself, for relationships, for your faith. I think it's a really powerful tool. So Enneagram 3, right? I'm competitive. I'm ambitious. i Love to achieve, and as much as I hate to say it, I love to be admired. I mean, I know we all do, but that's sort of where I get a lot of my self-worth from. Also have worked on that therapy, relax. And you know, those qualities can be really good and helpful, right? Until they're not. You know, and and the silly sort of superficial part is, yes, I hate to lose. You talk to any friend, family, anyone who's played ten minutes of a board game with me, I hate to lose. You know, Connor and I started playing pickleball this year with the other billions of Americans that started playing pickleball. And we try to get four people to play, right? Cuz doubles is a little less strenuous, it's a little more fun. But when we can't, we play one-on-one cuz you can. And after about 4 or 5 months of us playing one-on-one, he was like, "It's just not as fun for me." And I was like, "Why? It's like a better workout." Our, you know, we're always very close like we play pretty point to point till the end. And he was like, "Uh-huh." And basically came down to he had been Not giving his all because he didn't want to beat me too bad. I'm not going to say it was our first fight because it's certainly not. But as that person, I felt so offended that he wasn't giving it his all that he was playing down to me because I just want to win. Okay, silly. But like where I hate to lose in games, it hurts me deeply to fail at things that matter, right? I get hotheaded and I break paddles when I lose. And that's embarrassing, but it's true. But I hang my head really low in shame when I feel like I've failed someone or something. And as much as I've worked to hide said failures over the years, I have a 32-year-long list of them, you know? And and a lot of the things that are on there, even the closest up people in my life probably would say they haven't seen because I've hit them. You know, goals or resolutions that left me falling on and off whatever wagon, professional failures, financial failures on a few different projects, really painful moral failures from a couple months ago to years ago to decades ago that still haunt me sometimes and there's one in particular that taught me the value of failing the importance of walking with your head held high toward your failure and figuring out where to pivot to to grow to be better and that was a relational failure and it was a couple years ago kind of in the midst of quarantine and because I was single. We had a handful of single girls who didn't have that family to sort of insulate with. And yes, my mom and sisters were here and we saw them because we all kind of stayed in our own spaces and were safe. But we had a few girls who just kind of like did the days together because we didn't know how long it was going to last and we need a companionship. And one of my friends in particular, we're always adore her to that. She is a sister, you know, for eternity. And we're very competitive with each other in silly ways and fun ways. And I think all that time together ended up just stirring up a little bit of a drama and without all the details, which are irrelevant, ended up when she wasn't there kind of making an offhanded comment to others about her that, you know, how much of it was rooted in truth and how much was exaggerated wasn't even the point. But that comment ended up getting back to her and really hurt her. And my impulse, right, is to hide the failure, is to talk my way out of what I'm actually responsible for. And what makes me hang that head in shame is that my immediate pain in hearing that she had heard my comment was even less grief over hurting her and even more out of fear that my reputation and image and status as a good friend would be tarnished. I wanted to talk my way out of it. I wanted to make my part in the conflict seem less than her part, right? And kind of like sweep it under the rug and move on. But all the while, like heaping more and more shame because I knew that that I had failed this friend that I love very much and doesn't shame so often try to hide under a mask of self-righteousness, right? It's terrible that I'm like gagging saying it. But in this situation, success in the conflict, success in the conversation we eventually had that was difficult. Success in preserving and moving the relationship forward wasn't by preserving my name or my reputation or my status. It wasn't by sweeping the painful details under the rug. Success finally came from listening to her first and finally repenting for my part without an excuse and finally asking for forgiveness and forgiving Her for the way that she had responded. You know, I think why that was such an important lesson for me and such an important and painful interaction is that it just taught me to choose the fight to restore rather than the fight to be right. There's no joy in fighting for the upper hand. I've done it many times and there certainly is vindication and that feels good for a minute until it doesn't. But there is surprising joy in learning to humbly own our wrongs and receive forgiveness and grace from someone that doesn't have to give it to you. And, and it's not that it feels good. It is a vulnerable, t- tender, painful place. But there is redemptive joy there when two people choose restoration over rightness. And, you know, this is a lot of uh, what Connor and I talk about. I'm trying to learn moving into our marriage this year to do better with these things, this go around, right? To choose the humble posture over the, the quote-unquote right posture, to not choose the upper hand, but to choose restoration. And I think a lot of what happens when we learn to address Relational failures in this way is that we learn resilience. We learn resilience together. We learn resilience of spirit when we get really down on ourselves. We can accept their grace. We can accept God's grace. We can give ourselves grace, right? And I think this is about success in general. Like, I think successful and abundant lives are less about winning right out of the gate. And that's awesome. I love to win right out of the gate but I think successful, abundant life comes more when we learn how to get up and why to get back up after we fall. I think that's what makes successful people. And I've had a lot of successes in my life, I'm thankful to say, and a lot of failures, right? Relationally, professionally, physically, spiritually. And it it makes me think kind of on the spiritual note, the year after Ben died. I, by God's grace, had already enrolled in this year long, well, nine month long program called Downline. It's based out of Memphis, and several of Ben's cousins are a part of it and lead it. And um, they offer remote learning. It's basically like a whole year of one college class that's focused on learning the Bible for people who, lay people, people who aren't in ministry or in the church. And that was such a gift for me because four to six hours a week, whatever it was, I was literally learning and being taught and reading the scripture and learning more about who God is and how faithful he is and how powerful he is in my weakest season of life I've ever experienced. And it was awesome. And it felt like measurable spiritual growth to me, right? As an Enneagram three, as an achiever, whatever, I want to be able to measure and see myself grow, measure and see myself climb the ladder, whatever ladder that may be. At the moment. And this was important. This was head knowledge of Bible of the Bible. This was head knowledge of who God is. It's called theology. And that was an incredibly important and powerful foundation for me to be building when I was so in despair. And I would call that a success on paper, right? But I will say I look back and there was another moment in that same year where I just had a rock bottom few days and we're not choosing healthy ways to cope with this grief and i was just buried in this sort of regret and shame of some some silly choices and came to the lord in prayer after talking to one friend and you know christian since i was 12 years old and literally my whole head and shoulders were hanging down as if a physical human was standing in front of me and i couldn't even start to to pray about it and it was almost instantly it was as if the actual risen person of jesus like put his arms around me and spoke to me not audibly i don't that's not something that happens for me but hearing it immediately like in my mind from him don't hang your head this is what i died for and in that moment i learned more and absorbed more about who god is to us than that whole 9 months of reading and studying the bible in that moral failure. I experienced some of the richest spiritual growth of that season of my life, and I carry this with me all the time that I feel that head start to hang. That failure increased my love and my relationship and my trust and my understanding of God in ways that a year of studying scripture probably wouldn't have. And I hope that encourages you. As a sidebar on spiritual failure and growth. I just have to say, because so many of my friends are in the throes of early momhood, like babies, toddlers, yada, yada. I'm obviously not a mom yet, but I do want to say to those people because I've walked with this with so many faithful women who feel like, man, I'm just failing spiritually because I don't have time. And even when I do have time, I can't focus or I'm exhausted or I can't absorb anything or I just need to sleep. And I just want to say like, any step toward God is a spiritual step forward. Any tiny stumble into prayer, even if you fall asleep in the middle of that prayer, right, is a success because God's always waiting there for you. It it just doesn't matter how little or how quick or how brief. Any step toward God is a successful spiritual step. So I just hope that is something somebody needed to hear. Anyway, moving back to me. The point is— success and achievement and hard work. Y'all you know, these are good things. This is what we're put on this earth to work hard and create and flourish and give back and pour into other people. You know, I think about you know, the writer of James says every good and perfect gift is from above and and success is that gift, right? But these good things become harmful things when they become ultimate things that we start to define ourselves by. When we start to prioritize over loving God and loving others and caring for our spirits and our souls and our bodies. And listen, I, I told you, I want to win every game. I want to be loved by everyone. I want to be respected. I want to knock every project and podcast and even Instagram post out of the park. That's embarrassing, but I, it's true. And I hope I do. But I am only free from the shackles of what I do. when I remember it's exactly that. It's what I do. It's not who I am. People say often, we're not human doings, we're human beings. And for better or worse, my being often improves when my doing doesn't go over quite as well as I'd like it to. When I fail, I think achievement is great until it becomes your armor, until it's something you put up walls with, until it becomes a barrier to authentic, connected, abundant life. You know, John writes in chapter 12, his gospel, he says, Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I think this is an invitation to live fuller life on the other side of failures if we look for it, if we invite God into it, if we are honest with other people about it and humble in facing it. You know, we connect with others in our failures and in our pains. I think real compassion for ourselves and for others comes when we crash, not when we're crushing it. I just know the things I've failed at, that I've had the courage to acknowledge, really have been tools to soften the sort of harder qualities in me in a way that hurts and I hate, but I'm really grateful for now and though mm-hmm. reluctantly as i have tried to stop resisting and hiding my trip ups quite as much as i used to i've started to recognize my mistakes breed better qualities in me you know the the qualities that really matter if i want to live a life that's full and joyful you know things like humility and patience, and open-mindedness, and gentleness. you know None of these I, do I feel like I was born with a gigantic portion of, by the way. So I think I can only learn them through failure. And if I look with really honest eyes, it's the ways I've failed that have ultimately set me up for the most growth in wisdom, in creativity, and flexibility, in relationships, and in faith. I love this idea that I heard an author speak on recently, which is the resume virtues versus the eulogy virtues. And what he meant by that is that we are programmed to first pursue these resume virtues, right? The things that are measurable, the achievements, the jobs, you know, the points in life that we want to build up to. The things that bring acclaim and applause and measurable reward, and those things are good and fruitful. But the eulogy virtues, he argues, are what bring actual contentment and fullness of life. The eulogy virtues, obviously meaning the things that people would speak about you at your at your eulogy after you pass, and that these things, when they become a priority, maybe just before the resume virtue, even you know, on equal footing with them. But when we pursue these eulogy virtues, which often come through failure, that these are the things that define our character, that these are the things that determine how people feel when they walk away from time with you. And isn't you know loving and living well the greatest success of all? If any of this is how you're feeling, if you're scared of failure like me, or you're in the wake of one that you feel like you can't overcome, just hear me say like, you may have more to gain here than even lose. Success may build a bigger resume, but that failure may be a chance to build a bigger heart or step into bigger hope in what God can do here because what you can do here may not be enough to fix it. Look, at least for me, I think the reward for courageously and humbly facing our failures is freedom. I do. That's what I've experienced. I think it's the freedom to try. I think it's the freedom to dream and, and to start over. I think it's the freedom to give and receive grace that makes love so much deeper and, and relationships stronger and safer on the other side. And listen, I'm still asking for subscribers. I want five-star reviews. I Shoot, if you want to advertise and sponsor this podcast, shoot me a message. Thanks so much. I want this to succeed. And I still want to beat all of you at Scrabble and Pickleball and anything you want to play. Success is beautiful and life-giving and something to work for. But when you don't hit the mark, when you fail as we all have and will until we get to go home, right? I want you to know that your failure isn't wasted and that the loss probably has much sweeter fruit in it than the win. This show is produced and edited by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. Hey, y'all. If you're loving the show, go find that little follow button or plus sign on your podcast app. This will ensure you don't miss a single episode. See you next time.